part four section four of the freedom of the will by jonathan edwards this librivox recording is in the public domain it is agreeable to common sense and the natural notions of mankind to suppose moral necessity to be consistent with praise and blame reward and punishment whether the reasons that have been given why it appears difficult to some persons to reconcile with common sense the praising or blaming rewarding or punishing those things which are morally necessary are thought satisfactory or not yet it most evidently appears by the following things that if this matter be rightly understood setting aside all delusion arising from the impropriety and ambiguity of terms this is not at all inconsistent with the natural apprehensions of mankind and that sense of things which is found everywhere in the common people who are furthest from having their thoughts perverted from their natural channel by metaphysical and philosophical subtleties but on the contrary altogether agreeable to and the very voice and dictate of this natural and vulgar sense one this will appear if we consider what the vulgar notion of blameworthiness is the idea which the common people through all ages and nations have a faultiness i suppose to be plainly this a person being or doing wrong with his own will and pleasure containing these two things one his doing wrong when he does as he pleases two his pleasure being wrong or in other words perhaps more intelligibly expressing their notion a person having his heart wrong and doing wrong from his heart and this is the sum total of the matter the common people do not ascend up in their reflections and abstractions to the metaphysical sources relations and dependences of things in order to form their notion of faultiness or blameworthiness they do not wait till they have decided by their refinings what first determines the will whether it be determined by something extrinsic or intrinsic whether volition determines volition or whether the understanding determines the will whether there be any such thing as metaphysicians mean by contingents if they have any meaning whether there be a sort of a strange unaccountable sovereignty in the will in the exercise of which by its own sovereign acts it brings to pass all its own sovereign acts they do not take any part of their notion of fault or blame from the resolution of any such questions if this were the case there are multitudes yea the far greater part of mankind nine hundred and ninety-nine out of a thousand would live and die without having any such notion as that of fault ever entering into their heads or without so much as once having any conception that anybody was to be either blamed or commended for anything if this were the case it would be a long time before men came to have such notions whereas it is manifest they are in fact some of the first notions that appear in children who discover as soon as they can think or speak or act at all as rational creatures a sense of desert and certainly in forming their notion of it 
they make no use of metaphysics all the ground they go upon consists in these two things experience and a natural sensation of a certain fitness or agreeableness which there is in uniting such moral evil as is above described viz a being or doing wrong with the will and resentment in others and pain inflicted on the person in whom this moral evil is which natural sense is what we call by the name of conscience it is true the common people and children in their notion of any faulty act or deed of any person do suppose that it is the person's own act and deed but this is all that belongs to what they understand by a thing being a person's own deed or action even that it is something done by him of choice that some exercise or motion should begin of itself does not belong to their notion of an action or doing if so it would belong to their notion of it that it is the cause of its own beginning and that is as much as to say that it is before it begins to be nor is their notion of an action some motion or exercise that begins accidentally without any cause or reason for that is contrary to one of the prime dictates of common sense namely that everything that begins to be has some cause or reason why it is the common people in their notion of a faulty or praiseworthy work done by any one do suppose that the man does it in the exercise of liberty but then their notion of liberty is only a person having opportunity of doing as he pleases they have no notion of liberty consisting in the will first acting and so causing its own acts determining and so causing its own determinations or choosing and so causing its own choice such a notion of liberty is what none have but those that have darkened their own minds with confused metaphysical speculation and abstruse and ambiguous terms if a man is not restrained from acting as his will determines or constrained to act otherwise then he has liberty according to common notions of liberty without taking into the idea that grand contradiction of all the determinations of a man's free will being the effects of the determinations of his free will nor have men commonly any notion of freedom consisting in indifference for if so then it would be agreeable to their notion that the greater indifference men act with the more freedom they act with whereas the reverse is true he that in acting proceeds with the fullest inclination does what he does with the greatest freedom according to common sense and so far is it from being agreeable to common sense that such liberty as consists in indifference is requisite to praise or blame that on the contrary the dictate of every man's natural sense through the world is that the further he is from being indifferent in his acting good or evil and the more he does either with full and strong inclination the more is he esteemed or abhorred commended or condemned two if it were inconsistent with the common sense of mankind 
that men should be either blamed or commended in any volitions in case of moral necessity or impossibility then it would surely also be agreeable to the same sense and reason of mankind that the nearer the case approaches to such a moral necessity or impossibility either through a strong antecedent moral propensity on the one hand or a great antecedent opposition and difficulty on the other the nearer does it approach to a person being neither blamable nor commendable so that acts exerted with such preceding propensity would be worthy of proportionably less praise and when omitted the act being attended with such difficulty the omission would be worthy of the less blame it is so as was observed before with natural necessity and impossibility propensity and difficulty as it is a plain dictate of the sense of all mankind that natural necessity and impossibility take away all blame and praise and therefore that the nearer the approach is to these through previous propensity or difficulty so praise and blame are proportionably diminished and if it were as much a dictate of common sense that moral necessity of doing or impossibility of avoiding takes away all praise and blame as that natural necessity or impossibility does then by a perfect parity of reason it would be as much the dictate of common sense that an approach of moral necessity of doing or impossibility of avoiding diminishes praise and blame as that an approach to natural necessity and impossibility does so it is equally the voice of common sense that persons are excusable in part in neglecting things difficult against their wills as that they are excusable wholly in neglecting things impossible against their wills and if it made no difference whether the impossibility were natural and against the will or moral lying in the will with regard to excusableness so neither would it make any difference whether the difficulty or approach to necessity be natural against the will or moral lying in the propensity of the will but it is apparent that the reverse of these things is true if there be an approach to a moral necessity in a man's exertion of good acts of will they being the exercise of a strong propensity to good and a very powerful love to virtue it is so far from being the dictate of common sense that he is less virtuous and the less to be esteemed loved and praised that it is agreeable to the natural notions of all mankind that he is so much the better man worthy of greater respect and higher commendation and the stronger the inclination is and the nearer it approaches to necessity in that respect or to impossibility of neglecting the virtuous act or of doing a vicious one still the more virtuous and worthy of higher commendation and on the other hand if a man exerts evil acts of mind as for instance acts of pride or malice from a rooted and strong habit or principle of haughtiness and maliciousness and a violent propensity of heart to such acts according to the natural sense of men he is so far from being the less hateful and blamable on that account that he is so much the more worthy to be detested and condemned 
by all that observe him moreover it is manifest that it is no part of the notion which mankind commonly have of a blamable or praiseworthy act of the will that it is an act which is not determined by an antecedent bias or motive but by the sovereign power of the will itself because if so the greater hand such causes have in determining any acts of the will so much the less virtuous or vicious would they be accounted and the less hand the more virtuous or vicious whereas the reverse is true men do not think a good act to be the less praiseworthy for the agent being much determined in it by a good inclination or a good motive but the more and if good inclination or motive has but little influence in determining the agent they do not think his act so much the more virtuous but the less and so concerning evil acts which are determined by evil motives or inclinations yea if it be supposed that good or evil dispositions are implanted in the hearts of men by nature itself which it is certain is vulgarly supposed in innumerable cases yet it is not commonly supposed that men are worthy of no praise or dispraise for such dispositions although what is natural is undoubtedly necessary nature being prior to all acts of the will whatsoever thus for instance if a man appears to be of a very haughty or malicious disposition and is supposed to be so by his natural temper it is no vulgar notion no dictate of the common sense and apprehension of men that such dispositions are no vices or moral evils or that such persons are not worthy of disesteem or odium and dishonour or that the proud or malicious acts which flow from such natural dispositions are worthy of no resentment yea such vile natural dispositions and the strength of them will commonly be mentioned rather as an aggravation of the wicked acts that come from such a fountain than an extenuation of them it being natural for men to act thus is often observed by men in the height of their indignation they will say it is his very nature he is of a vile natural temper it is as natural to him to act so as it is to breathe he cannot help serving the devil etc but it is not thus with regard to hurtful mischievous things that any are the subjects or occasions of by natural necessity against their inclinations in such a case the necessity by the common voice of mankind will be spoken of as a full excuse thus it is very plain that common sense makes a vast difference between these two kinds of necessity as to the judgment it makes of their influence on the moral quality and desert of men's actions and these dictates are so natural and necessary that it may be very much doubted whether the armenians themselves have ever got rid of them yea their greatest doctors that have gone furthest in defence of their metaphysical notions of liberty and have brought their arguments to their greatest strength and as they suppose to a demonstration against the consistence of virtue and vice with any necessity it is to be questioned whether there is so much as one of them but that if he suffered very much from the injurious acts of a man under the power of an invincible haughtiness and malignancy of temper would not from the forementioned natural sense of mind resent it far otherwise than if 
as great sufferings came upon him from the wind that blows and the fire that burns by natural necessity and otherwise than he would if he suffered as much from the conduct of a man perfectly delirious yea though he first brought his distraction upon him some way by his own fault some seem to disdain the distinction that we make between natural and moral necessity as though it were altogether impertinent in this controversy that which is necessary say they is necessary it is that which must be and cannot be prevented and that which is impossible is impossible and cannot be done and therefore none can be to blame for not doing it and such comparisons are made use of as the commanding of a man to walk who has lost his legs and condemning him and punishing him for not obeying inviting and calling upon a man who is shut up in a strong prison to come forth etc but in these things armenians are very unreasonable let common sense determine whether there be not a great difference between these two cases the one that of a man who has offended his prince and is cast into prison and after he has lain there a while the king comes to him calls him to come forth and tells him that if he will do so and will fall down before him and humbly beg his pardon he shall be forgiven and set at liberty and also be greatly enriched and advanced to honour the prisoner heartily repents of the folly and wickedness of his offence against his prince is thoroughly disposed to abase himself and accept of the king's offer but is confined by strong walls with gates of brass and bars of iron the other case is that of a man who is of a very unreasonable spirit of a haughty ungrateful wilful disposition and moreover has been brought up in traitorous principles and has his heart possessed with an extreme and inveterate enmity to his lawful sovereign and for his rebellion is cast into prison and lies long there loaded with heavy chains and in miserable circumstances at length the compassionate prince comes to the prison orders his chains to be knocked off and his prison doors to be set wide open calls to him and tells him if he will come forth to him and fall down before him acknowledge that he has treated him unworthily and ask his forgiveness he shall be forgiven set at liberty and set in a place of great dignity and profit in his court but he is so stout and full of haughty malignity that he cannot be willing to accept the offer his rooted strong pride and malice have perfect power over him and as it were bind him by binding his heart the opposition of his heart has the mastery over him having an influence on his mind far superior to the king's grace and condescension and to all his kind offers and promises now is it agreeable to common sense to assert and stand to it that there is no difference between these two cases as to any worthiness of blame in the prisoners because forsooth there is a necessity in both and the required act in each case is impossible it is true a man's evil dispositions may be as strong and immovable as the bars of a castle but who cannot see that when a man in the latter case is said to be unable to obey the command the expression is used improperly and not in the sense it has originally and in common speech and that it may properly be said to be in the rebel's power to come out of prison seeing he can easily do it if he pleases though by reason of his vile temper of heart which is fixed and rooted it is impossible that it should please him upon the whole i presume there is no person of good understanding who impartially considers these things but will allow that it is not evident from the dictates of common sense or natural notions that moral necessity is inconsistent with praise and blame 
and therefore if the armenians would prove any such inconsistency it must be by some philosophical and metaphysical arguments and not common sense there is a grand illusion in the pretended demonstration of armenians from common sense the main strength of all these demonstrations lies in that prejudice that arises through the insensible change of the use and meaning of such terms as liberty able unable necessary impossible unavoidable invincible action etc from their original and vulgar sense to a metaphysical sense entirely diverse and the strong connection of the ideas of blamelessness etc with some of these terms by habit contracted and established while these terms were used in their first meaning this prejudice and delusion is the foundation of all those positions they lay down as maxims by which most of the scriptures they allege in this controversy are interpreted and on which all their pompous demonstrations from scripture and reason depend from this secret delusion and prejudice they have almost all their advantages it is the strength of their bulwarks and the edge of their weapons and this is the main ground of all the right they have to treat their neighbours in so assuming a manner and to insult others perhaps as wise and good as themselves as weak bigots men that dwell in the dark caves of superstition perversely set obstinately shutting their eyes against the noonday light enemies to common sense maintaining the first-born of absurdities etc etc but perhaps an impartial consideration of the things which have been observed in the preceding parts of this inquiry may enable the lovers of truth better to judge whose doctrine is indeed absurd abstruse self-contradictory and inconsistent with common sense and many ways repugnant to the universal dictates of the reason of mankind corollary from the things which have been observed it will follow that it is agreeable to common sense to suppose that the glorified saints have not their freedom at all diminished in any respect and that god himself has the highest possible freedom according to the true and proper meaning of the term and that he is in the highest possible respect an agent and active in the exercise of his infinite holiness though he acts therein in the highest degree necessarily and his actions of this kind are in the highest most absolutely perfect manner virtuous and praiseworthy and are so for that very reason because they are most perfectly necessary End of part four section four